Today's guest is Ross Blum, president and COO of Skyline Robotics. The conversation really was an interesting one because we got to dive into the differences between being a founder and building your own team and then heading that startup up against all the obstacles you face versus what happened in the instance of Skyline Robotics for Ross, which was he was invited by the founders to lead this team that was already built and what that dynamic looked like and how different it was and what he did about it. We also got a chance to cover the cultural differences that need to be respected and understood when operating a company that has the potential to be global, like Skyline Robotics does. Of course, we covered the industry as a whole, uh, in particular, not only with robotics, but with the particular slant that Skyline Robotics has with their Osmo product for window cleaning, or uh, better known as urban maintenance, and what that looks like with the workforce, the demographics, and how they currently look, helping them upskill as technologies begin to uh, innovate and disrupt the industry as a whole. And also, generally speaking, we got a chance to dive into what it looks like to be part of a startup and how Ross sees it working out. It's truly one of those situations where the conversation just flowed and we got a chance to really just talk about startups, what it's like raising capital, being a leader, moving things forward, where he has his sights set for the next city or what have you. And also where you can get a hold of them. So truly, it's something you're going to want to know more about. I hope that's intrigued you because it was definitely a conversation I thoroughly enjoyed having. Without further ado, Ross Blum. As you know, we get down and dirty here with talking to entrepreneurs about how they're innovating, about what they're doing differently, anything that can give you the edge uh, because the startup life is not easy. Uh, so with that said, today we have Ross Blum with us. Ross, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great, Philip. Thank you so much for having me here on the show. Excited to be here and uh, you know, looking forward to a great conversation. Same. Very much the same. It's not every day we get to talk to somebody working in robotics because it is a relatively fresh field, right? Uh, so before we dive headfirst into there, from what I've learned so far, you're in NYC and there's a lot of skyscrapers. I got to know, did this idea come to you sort of in that fashion where you're walking around and you're like, I'm going to innovate something. I'm going to break something. I'm going to disrupt <laughs> something. And then you look up and you see the skyscrapers and you're like, wait a minute. Did it go like that or was it a little more complex? <laughs> uh, I, I, I wish I could take that much credit for it. I mean, I, I did grow up here in New York City. So like I'm, I'm used to these like massive buildings surrounding me. Uh, but, you know, my, my journey to Skyline, uh, you know, I, I actually didn't found the company. Um, it was a little more complex of a, of a journey than, than that. So the, the company had actually been founded by two Israeli entrepreneurs in, in 2017. Um, but I got brought in along with a new CEO in December of 2020, uh, really to take what was, a, you know, a very sort of nascent company, certainly at the time, and figure out how, how to go to market. What's the right team to build? What's the right business model to go and execute? And how do we actually gain, you know, adoption? And so, you know, being surrounded by these big buildings and getting to see so many window cleaning and facade sort of operations happen throughout my life, it, it did feel like I should have thought of this candidly. But uh, but I can't take the credit, you know, for for doing that. But we've been given, um, you know, a great opportunity to to come here and join what was started by by a few gentlemen out in Israel. And really take it to its next levels. And, and that's what we've been doing for a 
coming up on three years now, um, you know, is, is really figuring out, you know, how to bring this type of technology to market, not just how do you create it, uh, what type of team you need, but how do you actually get an industry to change, you know, really to, to adjust to an evolution, you know, and how to actually complete an operation because, at the end of the day, you know, human beings are human beings, and uh, we get we get caught in these cycles of of being stagnant, uh, not wanting to change because change sometimes is is scary. Change can be exciting, don't get me wrong, but but change is scary. Change means different responsibilities, uh, different operating procedures, different paths to follow, or, or new ideas to pursue. And sometimes you engage with industries that candidly don't want to change. Now, I, I don't feel that way about the industry that we're necessarily working in. And I think that we're, we're seeing the adoption and the desire, you know, to, to create change and to create an evolution, to, to bring efficiency and to bring data really to the forefront of what's happening. Because you have to think about that these buildings that, that I get to be surrounded by every single day, these are billion plus dollar assets, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day. It is not cheap to go and build a skyscraper, uh, especially here in the United States and certainly not here in, in New York City as a whole. So when, you, when you're putting up these assets that have those billion dollar plus valuations, it really does make you start to think like, okay, like, is there something else? Is there something new I should be thinking about? And we're, we're engaging with the community all the way through the value chain, not just the developers and the property managers, the service providers, the facade consultants, architects, general contractors. And um, we're really excited for, for what's happening through this process, but we're, we're educating, we stay humble, and we stay hungry at each and every day. That's it, man. That's it. There's so many things we can talk about just based on what you just shared. Number one, the difference between being a founder and launching your own company, a startup, and, and doing that as opposed to coming in where some founders were already there and bringing you in and what that dynamic is like, right? We've got that whole conversation right there waiting, <laughs> right? Then we've got the idea of an industry like urban maintenance and what that looks like, right? And uh, not only working with the workforce that is so used to that, and I don't know how you can ever get used to being elevated that high in the sky, you know what I mean? But improving the safety uh, measures there and, and really changing the industry and finding out how that transition between that workforce is looking. And I could go on with the number of threads I could pull on. I'd actually really would love to hear, first off, your own view of it, because I know this isn't your first go around in, in, in the business world. So coming in, uh, and not being the initial founder, but coming in and really building and developing that go-to-market strategy. What are the dynamics like and what have you learned about that? You know, candidly, there, there's blessings and curses to, to every situation, right? Um, you know, I, I got to come into a situation where maybe we had learned some things that weren't going to work, right? Maybe some things had been tried already, um, you know, but but at the end of the day, getting to come into what I viewed as a really good opportunity. And Skyline seemed like a really good opportunity to me for two key reasons, because there's, there's a lot of startups out there that create really, really cool technology, candidly, at the end of the day. But does that technology always have a purpose and a business application and the use case that people really want to like adopt is a different question. But window cleaning happens really, really regularly. It had a built-in sort of revenue model. People pay for it consistently. You're not making a new line item in, in someone's budget to, to need to go and complete this task. So that, that's like one thing. 
because getting people to pay for something they're not paying for today sometimes is a bigger hurdle, uh, you know, than, than just trying to fit into, you know, a line item that does exist on a building's operating budget. The other piece of the puzzle is, again, startups create amazing, amazing things, but very few startups really have a global opportunity. So they might have regional opportunities, they might have continental opportunities, but very few companies really have global opportunities, especially from a very early stage of the company itself. So given that there's so certainly no technological reason why our, our, our system, Osmo, working in Tel Aviv versus New York, versus London or Sydney, Australia or, or Hong Kong, right? There's no technical limitation to the technology that precludes it from working in any single market. Yes, we'll have to go through some localization, you know, manuals, uh, the, the user interface and things like that. Might need some like language adjustments, uh, you know, certainly as we go. But Skyline, you know, I felt really had like a, a built-in revenue model because it's something that people paid for and really had a global opportunity with its technology as well. And so that was, those were sort of like the two key pieces of the puzzle for me personally to build conviction in, in coming into the company to begin with. But coming in and, and trying to take hold of a, a, candidate, a, a team I didn't know, uh, you know, a team that I hadn't built. Uh, working, you know, with robotics, which was a, a first for me. I came, I came from startups that uh, develop mobile and web applications. At the end of the day, very different development processes associated, uh, you know, with these different types of products. Um, but candidly, you know, wherever I've worked, I've had the opportunity to learn and grow. I've had the opportunity not just to learn and grow personally and understand what works for me, what has worked best for me in previous companies, and really trying to initiate new initiatives or, or new strategic plans and things of that nature. But it's also given me an opportunity to learn and grow about different types of technology and different types of engineers that build different types of technology. And so if you can really, uh, through the course of your experiences in life, begin to understand what it's like to sit in that other person's shoes, no matter what type of shoes that person might be wearing at the time, you can start to build connections really, really quickly. And so the first key piece of the puzzle in coming into a new situation was just ingraining myself and showing my dedication to, to what we're doing, right? I, I hadn't been there the longest, it was my first day, but I was gonna go outwork every single person uh, to go show them that uh, how dedicated I am to the process. But just working hard isn't good enough, right? You also have to have good ideas. Those ideas need to actually work. Uh, you know, you have to build credibility, you know, with, with a new group of people. And you have to understand what, what really makes them tick. You know, how do they want to improve? How do they want to get better? And how can this platform of a company that you're building enhance not just who they are today, but what their ambitions are going forward? So really, to me, like, yes, technology companies develop technology, but we're, we're a people business, right? The, the people behind the technology are, are much more critical to getting our technology to where we need to go than just hoping it's going to develop itself, you know, candidly at the end of the day. So my, my approach in coming into a new situation was sh show my desire, show my work ethic, be the hardest worker in the room, you know, first one in, last one out, any single day, and just nothing's ever good enough until I've proven myself to the team. Yeah, man. No, I, I really appreciate you going all in on that answer. 
Uh, that was definitely not anything other than top-notch answer to a question like that because it was broad, but you really gave that insight we were looking for, especially in terms of being able to step into a team that you didn't build, which is probably the hardest thing for most founders because they really like to have their own people, you know, and you coming in from as an outside, but also being expected to be the leader. That's probably the biggest hurdle to overcome. Uh, second, only to, I think, funding, because now we're talking about a global thing, right? So how does that work? Because I personally only worked with startups that are like focused in one area and likely in the U.S. And do you have to grab funding from multiple countries when expanding uh, or can it all come from one? And what are the differences you've seen, given that you've been in the startup world between the U.S. and pretty much anywhere else or places like yeah. Israel, you know? Yeah, 100%. And it's a great question. I mean, candidly, anyone that invests in a company is your ally. Right. So my job is to create the best possible allies, wherever those people are that are going to help me get the furthest. Now, some people do have a more strategic lens, you know, to, to an investment. Right. We've had, you know, real estate developers invest in Skyline Robotics. Maybe they haven't invested the largest amount of anyone who's invested, but they bring a lot of different types of value and can provide, you know, a lot of different insights and opportunities, you know, for, for a company like ours. Uh, I, I think that it is smart, you know, generally speaking, that if you're trying to approach a new market, that you have to create some allies in some way, shape or form. Does that need to be in the form of an investment, you know, sort of ally? No, it doesn't need to be there. But you're going to need to be able to get to the ground truth on many different types of situations. And being an outsider to any marketplace on the planet uh, makes that really, really tough. If you can create, you know, relationships, whether it's strategic partnerships, advisors from specific regions who might be very well connected in, in an area, or certainly taking an investment from a, a very credible investor in a market, you, you can sort of give yourself enough options in figuring out what that ground truth is. Because sometimes, you know, there, there's different laws places, there's different ways of doing business business. There's different ways to introduce yourself, you know, just like the nuances culturally from one market to an X can make or break you. And if you're not conscious of understanding how people in a given marketplace, not just want to work, but just really like how the world works there, uh, you're setting yourself up for, for failure, you know, candidly at, at the end of the day. So technology is great because it scales. And yes, we want to maintain our business model in the same way on a global scale. But at the end of the day, the nuance of doing business in different geographies and locations changes. And I had an opportunity at my previous company to do business with some international uh, you know, markets, uh, whether it was the, the Japanese marketplace, European markets. Um, you know, we ended up selling the, the company to a company based out of Hong Kong. Uh, I really got some exposure to how different people from around the globe want to operate and do operate, because that's culturally how they approach situations, you know, based on where, where their location is. Some markets, it's incredibly important to be very hands-on, be, you know, be boots on the ground, be with them, build the relationship there. Uh, other markets, you don't have to be, you know, boots on the ground, you know, like as much, but you do need to understand their cultural norms. Uh, how they want to operate and and how to grow a business successfully in, in their market. So, you know, there's no one size fits all solution, right? You know, there, there can be a, you know, uh, humans, you know, are, are really 
profound and interesting in, in many different ways. And there's no two of us that, that are really alike. So there are cultural norms to understand. But at the end of the day, like I said, we're in the people business. We do business with people. Yes, they're, they represent organizations. Uh, but you have to really build those relationships really, really strongly, uh, you know, with confidence and candidly from, from my view of the world as a startup until we've made it to some, let's say, extreme level of success. Uh, we're the ones that have to prove it to the world. It's us against the world. Uh, we have to respect everybody. We have to fit into how everyone else wants to work. And yeah, we got to bring innovation and the technology is the foundation of why we even get to speak to any of these people. Like, don't get me wrong there. But, um, you know, it, it's critical to understand, you know, how to put yourself in, in other people's shoes, understand what, what makes them tick, how they need to operate. And, um, you know, really, really try to, to find the path because it, it's a waste of everyone's time to try to put a square peg in a round hole. And uh, the quicker you can learn, potentially with those allies, again, on the investment or advisory or strategic partnership front, you can get much quicker, much more quickly. Yeah, man. No, this is key. And I want to ask, is there anything you do when you first land in a new market, like by default, whether it's reaching out to a certain type of person where you can sort of learn those cultural quirks as soon as possible? Is there anything you've picked up along the way or is it really just gut instinct the whole way and just that gritty, you know, like every other entrepreneur? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you, you, you do have to rely on your gut, right? And your gut's not always going to be right. But you can always develop what you think is rational, right? Even without knowing someone from a given market, you can do your own research. Google is a really powerful tool, um, you know, and, and YouTube as a companion can give you insights, you know, certainly into you know many different things. So, at, at a baseline, you have to be willing to you know engage, learn, and sort of like improve yourself. But no, is there like a, a straight line path to what works in one market will work for every other market? I would tell you certainly no. And I think that there's plenty of cases, whether you want to look at Uber and their successes in, in certain markets versus others, right? Just go to markets sometimes works better in other markets, um, in some markets rather than others. But uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that you can't build a successful business. You just got to figure out what actually makes that market tick and what makes the people tick in that market. Right on. Yeah, there's no getting around the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wish, man. I mean, I wish I slept more. But, uh, you know, like <laughs> at, 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 at the end of the day, you know, if, if you're not, you know, um, if you're not willing to put the hours in, you're, you shouldn't be in a startup. Now, look, I, one of the awesome things about being a disruptive technology is that you are, by default, impact-driven, right? That's just what you do. Uh, now, looking at the workforce, uh, how is Skyline looked at its current uh, its current uh, uh, default state, which is coming into a workforce that has people who probably been doing this their whole lives and whatever that looks like and and what's going to happen to them or how they're involved with this transition? Has that been part of the strategy or is it that there is a lack of that because nobody wants to be elevated that high anymore? And so this technology is actually couldn't have come at a better time. So I, I think it's a mixture of these things, but like first and foremost, I, I gotta say I've had the privilege to be out with teams in the field in New York City. What what those guys and, and women do every single day, going a thousand feet up in the air, doing manual labor, 
it can be 40 degrees outside. It can be 120 degrees outside. And they got to put the work in, you know, either way, because the buildings expect their, their windows clean, you know, candidly. So, like, those guys are, like, superheroes, you know, to me. Like, I, I, I personally couldn't do it. I've got a fear of heights. But, like, the, the, the people that have carried the, the industry to, to where it is today, those, those people are superheroes. And they deserve a lot of, you know, credit and recognition for, for the work that they do. Um, our, our goal is to create a collaborative sort of work environment. Like, yes, we want to put robots on the side of the building, but we still need to maintain someone on the rooftop, both for compliance and regulatory reasons. That person that's on the rooftop, you know, should continue to be employed by their same employer that, that they have been. Now, we want to retrain, upskill, and get those people paid more per hour uh, but the reality of the, the U.S. window cleaner demographics are that 76% of window cleaners are above the age of 40, wow. and only 9% are between the ages of 20 and 30. And if you think about, you know, what, what used to be like a generational job, like my, my grandfather was a window cleaner, my dad was a window cleaner, I became, you know, like a window cleaner. Well, in the last 20 to 30 years, the educational and vocational diversity that's uh, accessible or available to the general population has shifted dramatically. And maybe it's because of companies, not specifically Skyline Robotics, but startups everywhere. You know, we've given people the opportunity to pursue jobs that they're actually passionate about. If you want to say you're passionate about some particular industry or some type of innovation, I guarantee you there's a startup out there that's working, you know, on that particular industry or that particular, you know, type of innovation at the end of the day. And that's a type of job opportunity set that wasn't available 30 years ago, 40 years ago, right? Um, so startups are incredible. We, we create innovation. We, we, we don't trust the status quo, uh, you know, as the right way to do things. And creating change isn't always easy. But we're mission driven to to create that change. So we want to maintain, you know, the 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 employees that work in the workforce today, but upskill, retrain, and get them paid a, a higher hourly rate, a wage for becoming a robotic operator rather than just a traditional window cleaner. Now, the realities of the world are that there's not every building on the planet is gonna be suitable for Osmo. Uh, or candidly for anyone else that ever comes along. There's tons of complexity that can exist within a building. So those people uh, who are in the current workforce, we certainly feel will still have plenty of opportunities to go over the side of the building if that's something that they're really looking for. But if they want to get paid a little bit more, stand comfortably on a rooftop, watch a robotic operating a robotic system operate and clean some windows, we, we think that there's a, a, a good mixture that's going to allow the industry to continue and grow candidly from here. Man, this is important stuff. This is important stuff, especially when you look at the demographics and say, well, most of them are near retirement age, really. Like they're pretty much close there and there aren't that many young people coming in. So it is actually rather timely that Osmo and technologies like this are coming in. And that's really good to hear. It is an interesting problem to have in an industry when you're looking at upskilling people, especially when things have been done a certain way for so long. How much of what you do actually is focused on education as opposed to uh, simply uh, 
because it's not just education of the workforce, right? It's also education of the the clientele who are going to be adding this on. Like you said, there's the the benefit of not being a new line item. Nonetheless, it's robotics and people need to learn about it. So how much do you invest yourself in like education and understanding how to present it better and building those metaphors to connect those dots for people? Yeah, I, I, I don't know when my job will ever be done on education <laughs> because in, in every market that you go to, like the, the developers or the real estate asset owners that we have here in New York are, are different than Chicago, which are different than California which are different than London, which are different than Brussels, Germany, which are different than Sydney, Australia. Like there's, there's not many developers that really have a global scale. So when you, you, we're going to continue to have to introduce our technology, educate people. Yes, I think that some of the deployment cycles will become shorter and shorter because as we get more and more notoriety and more distribution and everything like that, you know, there'll, there'll be, let's say, some form of embedded trust you know, that, that's built into to what we're doing already. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, the people that do work in this industry, and now I'm not just talking about the guys that go out into the field, but the, the facade access consultants, the facade access engineers, the architects, uh, you know, who design these operations as part of building, you know, a, a new structure. Um, you know, there, there's always going to be need to keep in tune with them because it's critical for us to maintain levels of trust. And part of that trust is being open and transparent with the industry. Hey, this is where we are today. This is where we'll be in six months. This is where we'll be in 18 months. And we have to deliver you know, on those milestones to continue to get recommendations you know, in, into new development projects and, and otherwise. So I, I think that you know, uh, I, I hope my job becomes less about education as I get to grow a team, you know, a little bit further. But at the end of the day, um, you know, technology can be really powerful. But technology sometimes or technology, technology companies sometimes are misguided in just wanting to believe that the industry will change because they exist. No, I, I think that we have to operate differently personally at Skyline Robotics. We have to be humble. We have to go prove to everyone. We have to take crap from people sometimes and just accept that that's the way the world is. They're the ones that are important and we're the ones that are less important. Yes, in the back of our minds, we're like, well, we're creating really powerful technology that you could never envision, you know, creating yourself. But, but candidly, you know, we, we need to accept where we, where we belong, where we sit in the landscape today. And as we grow, yes, you know, I, I don't believe that we should ever be arrogant, you know, in, in terms of what we do or what we say, you know, like as a company. But, you know, the confidence level that we can begin to portray, you know, evolves with, with the growth of the company. So we need to stay cognizant of, of who we are, where we are, what we need to get done, stay laser focused, get our butts going on execution of everything we want to accomplish. And, uh, you know, if we do that enough times, the little wins turn into bigger wins and the bigger wins turn even into bigger wins from there. So we just got to, you know, keep that snowball, you know, going down the hill, keep gaining momentum and keep pushing ourselves to, to create change. Now, before we begin to close things out, uh, I, I am curious, when someone is still in the need to see, to believe, do you actually offer demo as a, as a tech and like tell people, hey, look, we'll demonstrate on your build and show you just how much more efficient or whatever it is? 
So we're we're not opposed, um, but at the end of the day, we we have business already. So we we have to understand the pros and cons of every situation, right? There can be a justified situation that that does say, well, it is totally worth Skyline expending out thirty thousand, fifty thousand, whatever it is, wherever it is, right? There are justifications, you know, that that can be easily created for for business decisions. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we we want to do less and less of that over time, just like everyone in the world wants to do less and less of that over time. But we need to really stay in tune, you know, with who we are and, and what we're doing um, and what our strategic priorities are and, and how those initiatives align with those strategic priorities. So, you know, if we're if we're behind schedule on something and an opportunity comes in front of us, but we have to do something that we don't want to do. You know, we'll, we'll consider it, right? We're, we're business people at, at the end of the day. And if we have enough conviction in what we, we tell the team, what we tell ourselves that we're out, out there trying to accomplish, and we need to sort of like suck it up, you know, a little bit further to make it happen, like we're, we're not dumb. We'll, we'll make that decision. But at, at the same time, um, you know, I, I don't believe that we're, we're close to being done to just convincing people they should transition. Uh, you know, this is going to be, you know, a multi-year effort, you know, to, to really get to that point in time where everyone's just comfortable, um, you know, and they don't need to, to see it, to believe it. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's, it's all subjective, right? Everyone's going to have different markers in their mind of, of what's enough, you know, what, what, what have you done enough of that makes me comfortable and building to building that answer could change of what is enough. So we, we can't get caught in that cycle of saying, well, one person told us this. So if we do that, you know, we're, we're good everywhere, right? No, like we, we, we need to stay, you know, focused on what we're trying to accomplish. Our, our plans as a company align with what we believe are the key trigger points to what we want to unlock. And from there, you know, it's, it's execution. You know, we, we've got the, and uh, a really, really incredible team. When we came in, it was a team of eight. Um, we got 31 full-time employees now, a little less than three years you know, into this. Uh, the team is not just incredible and incredibly smart and incredibly hardworking, but they believe that we are going to go change the world. And I believe that we are going to go change the world and how this world operates in the world of facade access. We have this opportunity. We're building all the proof points necessary to not just prove to ourselves, but to present to the real estate industry, present to investors, present to whatever consultants might be you know, thrown in our direction. Um, we know what we need to do. We're going to stay humble and hungry each and every day, put our heads down, work hard, and just execute as a family. I love that. There's this idea of there's a clear before and after uh, Skyline Robotics and the Osmo product hit the store, uh, hit the uh, hit the landscape. Right, there's a clear before and after in the way the world looks, and the entire team is aligned on that vision. That couldn't be more exciting. Now that you've scaled up to 31, and I know that's not the end of it. So this is just the beginning. So as we begin <laughs> to close out, right? Is there anything the listeners should know about new cities you've set your sights on, or what website should they go visit you on? Sure. Well, our, our website is www.skylinerobotics.com. 
I will say we don't do a tremendous job of updating our our. You're busy with robotics, right? Right, right. Uh, you know, <laughs> each and every day. So you know, we, we do update the news section as there are articles or podcasts that do come out. So you know, check out the news section uh, to come see uh, you know this podcast again. Now that you're already watching it, um, but uh, you know, we're we're pretty active on on LinkedIn. We think that that's the right sort of like B two B you know, network for us, because that's the type of business, you know, that, that we are candidly at, at the end of the day. Um, you know, and, and in terms of where we're headed, I mean, here, here's what I'll say. Um, in calendar year 2023, uh, we have averaged 1.65 inbound inquiries through our website every single day. In calendar year 2022, we averaged 1.06 inbound inquiries per day. In calendar year 2021, we averaged 0.65 inbound inquiries per day. So the world is paying attention more and more to, to what we're doing. Our job in analyzing the opportunities is not just understanding how many buildings are in a given place, what a labor rate might be in a given market, but really, can we find that right partner? Can we find that right ally? that we're going to put our trust in and they're going to put their trust in us to come and deliver on the, on the other side. Being, you know, choosing the, the wrong partner, not vetting each other appropriately, you know, in determining what makes sense for your business, uh, you know, mutually, um, you know, can be a big, you know, uh, you know, a landmine, you know, in, in many ways. Um, these are big, big decisions for an early stage company. Um, I couldn't be happier with our partner in New York. You know, the platinum, palladium, uh, titanium families of companies. They not just see and understand the value that we, we bring to the marketplace, but they want to be a part of it. They want to see their business grow. They have their own aspirations of where their business can go from here with a partnership with Skyline Robotics to understand and to dig in, you know, with someone and really see that you have a, a common view of the, the future and what's going to be out there and what problems are going to exist is more critical than signing more deals more quickly. I'd rather have the right partners in the right places that I have full faith and trust in and have full faith and trust in, in what, what we work on together than be in 10 markets, you know, at, at, at the same time. There's, I, I would ask your listeners to think about this question. Um, ask, ask yourselves, can you name 10 successful robotics companies that exist? Like, yes, you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, robotics is a, is a relatively new industry, but you know, robots have existed for 50, 60 years. Like what, what 10 companies can your listeners name? Now, there's a number of them out there that have been really, really successful. And we went and studied what it takes to be a successful robotics company. And we think this level of focus and execution and finding the right partners is the key first step in getting this business off the ground, uh, rather than trying to take advantage of those 1.65 inbound inquiries per day that are coming at us from everywhere on the planet. Man, this is beautiful. Thank you so much. I mean, the way you went in on every answer is exactly what we needed for this show. So, Ross, thank you for being candid, for being honest, and for just leaving it all out there on the field, as they say. 
Uh, with that said, again, uh, everyone is invited to check out the website, but if you can go on LinkedIn and look up Skyline Robotics and connect with Ross, you know, it's probably going to be more likely you'll have an engagement there since that is the attention <laughs> span uh, centerfold. So with that said, man, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank, thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Same, same.